Certain groups in our culture are trying to convince us that science and religion are diametrically opposed. It can be only one or the other. Evolution or creation. Big Bang or intelligent creator. Dinosaurs or unicorns. But this is a false dichotomy that has only recently in our human history been suggested. Science and religion have often gone hand in hand. Mendel, the father of genetics, was a Catholic monk. Louis Pasteur, the father of pasteurization, fermentation, and vaccination, was also a believer. Sir Isaac Newton wrote that his work studying the universe was in order to convince others of the grandeur of God's work. Francis Collins wrote The Language of God on how he found God through his work on the Human Genome Project. Science is not opposed to faith. Science can actually reveal the magnificence of God's work by showing us the complexity of our everyday experiences. Some men like Newton have seen God's handiwork in the stars and the vastness of space. But next time you're standing in your own yard, probably thinking about whether it needs to be mowed yet again, contemplate how many things must go right for a single blade of grass to grow high enough for you to be annoyed and cut it again. The cells in a grass blade must circulate water and air. The cells must photosynthesize light to create food. And new cells must be created. Now think of how many blades of grass are just in your yard and in your neighbor's yards and in your part of town and in this city and in Florida and in this country and in the world. That's a lot of grass. We don't need to go to the stars to see the magnificence of God's creation. We can use our scientific knowledge to be amazed at the greatness of God right in our own backyard. I found God in a biology textbook. Now, I met God later. But the first time I looked at something and undeniably saw God's handiwork, I was in the ninth grade. I was laying in my bed, which is a terrible study habit I still have, reading chapter one of our APIB biology textbook for Miss Durant's class, when I became so overwhelmed by God's creation that I had to take a break to think about the world I thought I knew. I was reading about cells, how each cell is its own little unit made up of all these little parts that keep it running. And that's pretty cool. But then, these cells get together with other cells to form tissues that serve a certain function. And these tissues form organs. And these organs work together in one body and not just to keep it alive. We are not just robots where every cog or widget keeps the machine running. We are bodies with thoughts and feelings and emotions that won't stop until the day we die. You are made up of roughly 37.2 trillion unthinking cells, each carefully crafted by your creator every day of your life. 
This morning we hear that the Jews are disgusted that Jesus would tell them to eat his flesh and drink his blood, or his life force, as it would have been known in Jewish culture. And who wouldn't be? The Jews, especially in Jesus' time, would have followed strict dietary guidelines and butchering requirements. Cannibalism was definitely not accepted. And that sounded to be what Jesus, a good Jew, was proposing. But Jesus goes on to explain, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. This may be the first instance of anyone saying, You are what you eat. If we eat and drink the body and blood of Christ, we become the body and blood of Christ. While the church as body of Christ made sense to the early church in its own way, since the discovery of the cell by Robert Hooke in 1665, the church as body of Christ seems even more telling. We are no longer individual cells, just subsisting. Rather, We join with other cells within Christ's body to become tissues and organs. And finally, a living, breathing, thinking, caring body that moves with purpose and mission. Because of our scientific knowledge, we can now take this metaphor even further. Recently, we've been discussing spiritual gifts in our Sunday morning Christian formation class. And though we are all different people... Like cells in a body, we serve different functions for the good of the whole. It is important that we discover the gifts we've been given instead of the gifts we wish we had. A blood cell is worthless if he tries to function as a brain cell. It is only through doing the work of a blood cell that he is of value to the body. Sometimes, cells become sick. In fact, whole organs can become sick. And that is when other cells in the body work together with the sick cells to try to get them back to a healthy place. The church is like that as well. Churches are not just places for happy, well-functioning, successful people. Churches are places especially for the grieving, the sick, the ailing, the sinner. While walking on our own spiritual journey, it is our job as a member of the body to care for those who are ailing along the way. Not because it gets us more stars in our crown in heaven, but rather because we eat of his flesh and we drink of his blood. We are one body, and when one of our cells is sick, we all suffer. As such, we as Christians are called to be with others in their pain, to feed the hungry, to walk with them when the road gets difficult, and even to sometimes bring them chicken soup. Sometimes, unfortunately, single cells can become too selfish. Cancer cells are ones that start consuming resources faster than normal in order to multiply non-specialized cells. This toxicity spreads like weeds in a garden, choking out the good, healthy cells that are trying to work together to help the body. Sometimes, with the right intervention, The tissue, the organ, and the body can be saved. But we must always be on guard for toxicity that can spread like cancer through the body of Christ. Consider your own body. 
You are losing and creating new cells every second of every day. Cells die, and new ones are born. There's a myth that one's body is made up of completely new cells around every seven years, but that's not true. Instead, some of our hardest working cells, such as colon cells, are replaced every four days, and we have an entirely new set of skin cells in three to six weeks. But even with all this turnover, the body remains a unified group of cells moving toward the common goal. You are still you. The body of Christ is no different. The church has survived 2,000 years of death and birth, and it is the job of the current cells to help form and make room for the newly created ones. Part of the beauty of our tradition is that even after death, our communion of saints and souls stays active with us through our liturgy. Though we may pass away, the body of Christ survives us. The path to eternal life is not one we can walk alone. Jesus calls us to the table to eat of his body, to drink of his blood, and to become one with the faithful, one with the body of Christ. In our baptismal covenant, when we acknowledge the commitments we make when we join with the body of Christ, we first and foremost promise to continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of the bread, and in the prayers. This work fortifies us to do the other work set before us in the covenant. Repentance, evangelism, service, and respect. When we eat of his body and drink of his blood, we move a little closer to being Jesus in this world. Through his flesh, through his blood, we become more than just a cell working to sustain ourselves. Through communion, we become part of the body of Christ. Through communion, we are never alone. And through communion, he abides in us, and we in him. Amen.